0: Welcome back to the Leading Yourself Podcast. I'm very excited for today's podcast episode. You know, one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is the amazing opportunity that I have to meet, speak to, and interview amazing people doing amazing things. And today we have one of those people here on the podcast. You are gonna have the opportunity to listen to a conversation that I had with Melissa Daimler. She's the Chief Learning Officer at Udemy and the author of the book Reculturing, Design Your Company Culture to Connect with Strategy and Purpose for Lasting Success. Melissa and I share a lot of different passions, among them learning, talent management, talent development, and culture. You are going to listen to our conversation where we talk about where is culture, what is this term that she's now introducing called reculturing? How the pandemic impacted culture and how companies are evolving their cultures to adapt to the evolving ways of working. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And if you do, do me a favor go and grab a copy of Melissa's book. You can find the link to it on the show notes of this podcast episode. And now, with no further ado, let's dig in into today's podcast episode. Welcome to the Leading Yourself podcast. This is your host, Carolina de Arriba. I'm an HR professional, health and fitness coach, wife, mom, and above all things, a goal getter. Welcome again to the Leading Yourself Podcast. As I said, today, we have a really special guest. I am so excited to have Melissa Daimler today in the podcast. She is the Chief Learning Officer at Udami and the author of this incredible book called Reculturing, which I was fascinated about. I devoured it. I'm such a nerd on this topic. and. (laughs) Like I could identify myself with so many pieces of the book and I'm so excited to be here talking to
1: Melissa. Melissa, welcome to the Leading Yourself podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be doing this. I feel like we've been talking about it for a while. I know. And um, I'm so excited for our listeners because I think they are up
0: for a treat with our conversation today. But before we talk about your book and all this topic of culture, which is so fascinating, some of our listeners might not have heard your name before or don't know much about you. Can you start just sharing a little bit about your background sure. and yeah,
1: a little bit about yourself? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, again, I'm really excited to be here. I love that you called yourself a nerd. It's always good to, to be with fellow nerds, um, uh, all things culture and learning. I could talk about that all day long my background I'll, I'll give you the the brief history i have been in tech for most of my career so I, I say 20 plus i think it's 25 plus at this point but uh i've always enjoyed working in the space of um what i will call systems uh i, I got a master's degree in organizational development so looking more holistically at the organization as a system and thinking about culture within that system and how it can drive our strategy and same with learning has been really the the focus of my career and i feel really lucky to have had the career and journey i've had i was at adobe for it seems crazy to say this now but almost 11 years i i played different roles there i uh, was a people partner, so I worked directly with uh, the 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 business and was able to understand more about every single business line. I started the OD function there. we kind of relaunched learning. So there was a lot of uh, great learning in general that i that I uh, had there about both business and uh, the importance of being a business leader first, regardless of, the the function you're in and then i was at twitter for four and a half years uh this is what i call the glory years it was from 2012 to 2016 so i was there massive growth you know we went from under a thousand employees when i started to 4500 when i left a billion in revenue um we expanded globally it was an amazing company. It was a great culture. I I believe the Twitter you see now is no longer, unfortunately, but at the time it was a wonderful company and Started the, the learning and organizational development function from scratch, so that was just a huge experience. So those were two great cultures, and then I had the opportunity, and I can say opportunity now, uh, mm-hmm. go to WeWork because uh, I really wanted to expand. Uh, I wanted to move back to New York City. It's one of my other favorite cities, and move into a different space besides tech. So this was more uh, in you know the um, Uh, looking at co-working spaces and real estate. And it was also, at the time, a unicorn. It was growing fast. And so the opportunity to be part of that was huge. I lasted a year there. And we all know the story of of what happened at WeWork. And I think there were just a lot of great lessons about culture and learning that I took away from that. And then launched my own consulting business. Uh, It was only supposed to be temporary but that turned into four years because a lot of companies really wanted to learn more about culture especially as we were all trying to navigate this pandemic and so was able to during that time write reculturing and kind of capture all of the lessons that I've learned uh the good bad and ugly (laughs) and now I have just such a wonderful opportunity to be the chief learning officer at Udemy and be able to meet people like you and other great customers and colleagues. And we can talk shop and share best practices, impact a product, and also be able to do internal uh, development there as well. So that's kind of the not so brief history <laughs> of me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say themes are again, you know, kind of systems thinking, culture, and learning. It's so fascinating, and I love something that
0: you said—that we are business people and business partners first, and then it's whatever our function or expertise is. And I was smiling when you said that because when people ask me what do I do, I like to describe myself as a business person who happens to be in HR, Mm -hmm. Um, and. I've always been in HR and I started in learning and I came full circle because now I'm in the talent management and talent development and learning space. And it's an area that has evolved so much over the last, at least since I started my career, which is also 20 years. I don't know how you feel about that, but when I say it's been 20 years, I'm like, I know. uh, Yeah. Where did 20 years went? It went fast. Very fast. But a lot of things have changed and in learning, but especially when it comes to culture, I think that there's been this like acceleration of disruption when it comes to culture and how companies are not looking at culture differently and, and giving the importance that it has, right? When in the past, culture was something that was there and now it's something that everyone wants to build and create and shape and just the approach is so different. And my first question to you, Melissa, is since we're going to be talking about a lot about culture today and your book, let's start just by defining what culture is. So from your perspective and your experience, how do you define culture?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question to start with. And you know, I, I talk about this in the book. I I have so many um uh, answers to what that, to that question from, from so many leaders that I have worked with over the years. And they're not so great answers. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have defined culture and, you know, you've heard all of these, that it's, it's the soul of the company or it's when people are happy or, um, it's engagement, um, so there's a lot of different definitions that, in fact, before I wrote this book, I had no idea that culture as a concept, organizational culture, has been around for over 70 years. And I feel like, you know, 70 plus years later, we we still have this nebulous definition of of what culture is. I, I think the closest version of culture that so many people have talked about is it's your values. So so I like that better than than most mm-hmm. other definitions. But to me, you know, culture is as simple as how people work. Um, so I, I talk a lot about um, purpose, strategy, and culture. I think purpose of a company is your why. Why do you exist? Um, why are you doing what you're doing as an organization as, and mm-hmm. as individuals? Strategy is the what, and then culture is the how. And when we can get even more specific than that, because so often I felt like, as I was working inside companies, it was confusing to a lot of employees on, you know, what does it mean when we say we're team oriented or what does it mean when we say, uh, you know, we're an innovate, we have a value of innovation. And so I always wanted to take it a step further and go to those behaviors. So if I were to see you being innovative, what would you be doing? What would you not be doing? And I was actually inspired by the whole culture deck that Patty McCord and uh, leaders at Netflix created where they did go beyond values and listed specific behaviors in you know, kind of what they expected from their employees. So I do believe that you know, ultimately culture is a verb. It's something that's active. It's not a noun, it's not static. Um, That's a myth that I I think we get wrong Mm -hmm. and it goes beyond values. And so I I'm a fan of three because that's all I can remember these days. But Mm -hmm. I believe that culture is made up of behaviors, processes and practices. And so whatever behaviors you have, those then need to be embedded into all of your people processes. So you're hiring, you're onboarding, you're developing your rewarding, your performance managing, and then practices like meetings, like how we communicate the the day-to-day kind of practices, to whatever extent we can, include behaviors in those as well. And so when we do this, we then have an opportunity to have culture more naturally show up in the flow of work versus Being kind of this separate thing on a wall or a website, similar to, I think, how we've been talking about learning and how learning has evolved over the years, that it's not you and I know it's not as powerful when we define learning as this one-off kind of training experience Mm -hmm. um, versus it is also a strategic lever that can help us impact the business if we use it right. Absolutely. So that was a very long answer to, to culture, but it's behaviors, processes, and practices is, is how I define it.
0: Yeah, and when I was reading your book, I really like the way you describe it because I agree with you. I think when I started my career and I also had a master's degree in organizational development and when I started to work in the space of OD, And we were talking about culture. People always said, Oh, culture are the values of the company. And when you ask people, Where can I find the values of your company? was always this nice thing on the wall, right? Um, And I remember, you know, people almost memorized them because. You had an audit and then an auditor will come and say, what are your values? And people will just recite them without knowing what it meant or Mm -hmm. what were, to your point, the behaviors or how they were leading that. And I think, I'm so glad to see that that has evolved so much and that there is so much more focus on culture more holistically than just that. Mm -hmm. Um, And how cultures really shape the company, right? I also like your trifecta of, your purpose, your strategy, and the culture. Because I think that sweet spot when they're all aligned and they're they they they're one all together, I think that's where companies really thrive. And you can see from the inside and out yeah. what really the culture of that company is and how culture becomes
1: an enabler for that company to be successful. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I It's so interesting because as I, I dug more into even the idea of of systems thinking it's a system really is the, not the sum of the parts, but the interrelation of the parts. And so I just feel like we don't leverage the, the, the way culture connects with strategy and how purpose can give meaning to strategy and culture. Um, so I just, I don't, Think that we leverage that whole system Mm -hmm. enough and it's interesting because i i also kind of uh joke that peter drucker you know the the management guru uh still i i feel like he's he's somebody who's referenced quite a bit today um you know he famously said culture eats strategy for breakfast and i joke that i think the two should have breakfast together because i i think that i don't i don't think that culture is necessarily better than strategy because let's face it, if you have a great culture, but your strategy is not great, you're not going to have a business. Um, But if you have a great strategy and you're not, you know, connecting um, the parts of what makes a great culture and reinforcing and rewarding those behaviors in a consistent way Mm -hmm. um, and developing people, people are going to leave. So I do think there's a huge opportunity that we keep missing out on in, you know, figuring out how to integrate those together much more than we do today.
0: Yes, I can't agree more with that. Now, we talk about culture. Your book is called Reculturing, and you Mm introduced this concept of reculturing, which I thought was genius and so interesting and so true because when we talk about culture people think we need to do a culture transformation yeah. and we think about like getting the guts out and like redoing the whole thing and and you introduce this concept that i think is brilliant can you explain a little bit what reculturing
1: is yeah Yeah. So I, as I thought more about culture and I dug into some of the research and integrated that to the experiences that I had, I realized that we were talking more about it as a noun. And to your point, like I've been part of culture transformations and um, you know, culture shifts and it just, it takes forever and we're done after a year. And then all of a sudden we have to do it again because we've shifted again with our business. So I, I realized that it it really is about an ongoing set of actions that we have to think about. And if you think about strategy, you know, we don't just talk about strategy. We talk about strategizing and especially mm-hmm. today in this world, we have to be so much more agile in, you know, adjusting to the external environment. We learned that the hard way in the the pandemic that I feel like every day people were not really clear on what priorities we had and there, there had to be a lot of communication. So just like we're always strategizing, I, I think we need to constantly be looking at how we're reinforcing our culture and are the practices that we're doing consistent with the kind of culture that we declared ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I've gotten a lot of questions about, you know, do you need to reculture and kind of think about your culture uh, differently as much as you do about strategy? like should there be an annual mm-hmm. uh, plan for this? I don't know if it's as much as your strategy. But it certainly needs to be looked at at uh, certain inflection points. And so, you know, at Adobe, we recultured, we didn't call it that at the time, but like three times when I was there, you know, when there was a, a change of CEO, when we had a large acquisition, when we changed our business model, you know, we took a step back and not only looked at strategy, but also looked at, you know, how are we working together? You know, what kind of Um, we even looked at skills, like what kind of skills do we need in our leaders? And are there certain values and behaviors that we want amplified more than they are today? And so it was, is more of a, you know, kind of an inspirational approach. Mm -hmm. And I I do feel like that is a big part of reculturing that it should be um, aspirational as you look at what behaviors you want to see. So I just think it's something that we need to be looking at is, is in an ongoing way, much more action oriented than I think how we've always historically looked at culture. Yeah,
0: I, I love that. And I, yeah, I think it's it's been so theoretical in the past, right? We see as culture as something intangible. We think about it more theoretically, more philosophically. Yeah. And I love this actionable component of constantly being reassessing. And and I think sometimes it's just the quality of the questions that you ask yourself, right? Am I, you know, anytime there is a change in a process it is an opportunity to say, is my process aligned with my culture? Yeah. Is my process reinforcing the culture that I want to create? Mm-hmm. I see this a lot, you know, how DEI has become a hot topic in everywhere, right? And I think a lot of most companies are thinking about DEI as part of their culture. And I think a lot of times, right, when we look at our lenses of all our people processes, like looking at it from that lens of, is this reinforcing the inclusive culture that we want? Is this, and that for any component of culture, right? It's is that ongoing questioning, not necessarily this massive effort, never ending, that becomes, I always say, don't let any effort in culture in improving your culture, evolving your culture. And now I'm going to use the term reculturing the flavor of the month.
1: Yes. I think
0: that's the worst thing that you can do because then you lose the trust of people that, you know, we're going in the right direction. This is aligned. We're doing it for the right reasons. If it just
1: becomes the flavor of the month. I totally agree with you. And it's so interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm happy to see, to your point, a lot of DEI efforts being more integrated into organizations and not be seen as, you know, kind of the role of one, you know, or I, I also, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in one person owning culture either. Um, and, you know, I remember even when I was at Twitter, like we were talking about, we got to bring in an unconscious bias training. And I said, no. Because I don't, I don't want that to be seen as just a checkbox of, if we do that, then we've checked the box for being diverse and inclusive. And it wasn't until I was talking to, talking to Jack, who was the CEO at the time, and and he said, no, this is actually the first step toward an integrated set of actions that we're going to be taking, and we're going to start um, as the executive team first, which was huge. I mean, that, that was just a huge shift versus like rolling out a bunch of unconscious bias training. So I, I do think, um, you know, a systems approach and really, I love what you said about, you know, anytime we're making a process change, pausing and really thinking about, How does this reinforce our values and behaviors and what we're trying to drive here strategically? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now you mentioned the pandemic um, as we were talking about the
0: concept of reculturing. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic had a big influence in this topic of culture. A lot of companies, you know, we 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 all moved to remote working unless it was essential workers involved. And it just created this huge change. And we we had the need to adapt. Um, but that had a big impact in companies' cultures to the point that today, um, even though we were talking before we started the interview about COVID still a thing, but it's not the thing that it was when we were right. in 2020, 2021. But companies are start trying to figure out what is the post-pandemic work life looks like, right? Mm -hmm. What is the future of work? What is the new norm? We use all these terms. And I think it all comes back to companies trying to identify what is their culture and how Mm -hmm. does this fit in their culture? Can you talk a little bit about the impact that an event like the pandemic had in company culture and some of the things that you've seen um, from your experience in this regard?
1: Yeah. I feel lucky. I mean, this is what I would say is a silver lining from the pandemic in that it has amplified uh, the need to look at culture beyond ping pong tables and happy hours. Um, Because I think we sometimes even, going back to those awful definitions, like sometimes people even think about culture as those things that happen at work in an office. And we know that's not, what culture is. Those things are great. I love them. You know, I, I, I loved the free donuts we had at at Twitter. Um, but that's not that, that just, it, it does culture a disservice. Um, if, if we think that's all it is. So I think, you know, taking the office out of it has allowed us to think differently about what culture is in a hybrid world. And it, 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 allows us to then think about some of the things we've talked about, which is culture is created in every conversation. It is strengthened or weakened in every decision we make, um, because it really is how we work with each other. And those things that we, those practices that even I relied on as a manager, um, you know, uh, like following up with somebody in a hallway like oh my gosh you know I forgot to talk to you about you know this decision and uh, you need to do this or um I wasn't that clear about objectives on on this piece or what it is we're trying to do here or um whatever it may be I feel like we have to be much clearer about everything we do now because so much of what we're doing is virtual we don't have the luxury of those hallway conversations so Clarity, intentionality are just part of our everyday work. Mm -hmm. And that starts with being really clear about your strategy and your culture. And what expectations do I have of you in what you're working on and how you're working on it so that, um, you know, I don't have to have 15 Zoom calls with you all day long. I just know that we're aligned. We're clear. And you know, you're doing what you need to be doing. So I, I think it's definitely impacted how we look at culture in, in a positive way.
0: Yeah, I think it had, I think there were for me great things that the, the pandemic brought one accelerated a lot of the things that companies were trying to do anyways, right? right? That we procrastinated because there was other always other priorities. Uh, because It wasn't, we didn't have the time to work on them or it was an HR um, initiative versus a part of the company culture. And it accelerated a lot of those things. I think for me also reinforced a lot of the values and the behaviors to your point earlier, right? Like, I don't know, but for me, things like empathy, vulnerability, like these are things that um, I think we, I personally experienced at a different level during the during the pandemic time, right? And, and even now, like being super intentional about scheduling time with people and talking mm-hmm. and aligning and finding, I don't know, I always find, I always say that when you're thrown at the water without knowing how to swim, you figure out how to swim. And that's mm-hmm. what the pandemic did for a lot of things. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're still trying to, find out what hybrid looks like and what does that mean and and a lot of companies are trying to figure that out now I also I want to have asked you a follow-up question to that I have had conversations with colleagues with peers in the industry this conversation about remote work or hybrid work is eroding our culture we Mm. need to get back to the office and we've seen big companies I mean. Talking about Twitter, for example, right? And I know that's a different Twitter than the Twitter that you were when you were there, but a lot of companies are moving to we need to go back to the office and because
1: it's eroding our culture. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm smiling because so many leaders uh, and, you know, some at Udemy are saying, you know, how do we get our culture back? this was pre our whole reculturing, uh, mind you, cause we were going through a reculturing process as well. Um, and it's just code for how do we get people back into the office? And I just, it's the wrong question. Um, and, and so I, I do think that um, we need to be really intentional about the hybrid strategy. Like what we need to be consistent um, I, I think some companies are leaving it up to the manager to have you know, some flexibility, which normally is a good thing. But in this case, I think managers need a little bit more air cover and, and guidance in how to address this with their employees. And so um, I, I, somebody, I can't remember what article I read recently, but they were talking about how the office should be used as yet another tool it, you know, I think we get in trouble when we bifurcate, you know, people coming into the office are good and people not in the office are bad. The people coming into the office are helping build culture. The people who not aren't in the office aren't. So I just, that's just an old way of thinking. And I, I'm wondering if that's partly just because um, many of those folks just aren't familiar with with working in the space and and some of us crave like i love the office the office is very close to to where i i live so it's easy for me to go in i love wearing heels again i like like you know wearing something other than lululemon um it's great i love seeing people and the informal conversations and my, half of my team is not anywhere close to our our office and so we have to remember even when some of us are in the office and some of us are are virtual, we have to uh, lean toward the virtual tools. You know, we were in um, a meeting the other day and there was a, a, um, a whiteboard cleaned, newly cleaned, brand new markers behind us. And we were all, half of us, there were four of us in the room. We're super excited to kind of get on that whiteboard. And then we realized three people on our team were calling in to Zoom. And we had to use Miro because that was that was the tool that that level set everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to work differently. And it ended up being great anyway, because then it could record, you know, we, we were able to do more things. But I I, I think we really need to be, going back to our word, intentional about what our strategy is and why. So if if we use the office as a tool for things like brainstorming or coming together for major decisions that are easier to make, you know, in person versus virtually, instead of just saying, I want people back in the office because I just think, you know, collaboration is a good thing or more work gets done. That's just not, that's not a good reason. Um, so I, I think to your point, we still have a lot of learning to do there and companies are still figuring this out, but it needs, people need a reason to come into the office other than free sandwiches.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the intentionality
0: piece is for me the most important thing, right? And how can we create a pool that people want to be there because they see the value of being there. They right. see that decisions are made easier or yeah. they get to talk to people that otherwise they don't or what whatever that is, but they see a value of going to the office versus feeling that they have to go right? because they've been told to go to the office, right? Yeah. Um, and I think as I was reading your book, I'm thinking, you know, also thinking about to your point before, how is this supporting our culture? And if we start by, as you said, this aspirational view of our culture, then we can reverse engineering and said, okay, in order to have this thriving culture, whatever thriving means for whatever company, this is how work needs to happen. And then we can build that around that versus getting into the location of where work happens. Totally. You know, like, um, yeah, I think, you know, the pandemic came to disrupt a lot of things, but I think in a positive way, to an extent, it got us thinking differently. It got us to think possibilities where we didn't see them before. Like, mm-hmm. I would have never imagined that I was going to be working from home every day. Me neither. That wasn't on my vision, that it's never crossed my mind. Like, Mm-hmm. my entire career has been, you know, you wake up, you go to work and you're at work for eight, nine, 10 hours, whatever that time in, and then you go home. Right. But it never crossed my mind that I would be working remotely uh, mm-hmm. and
1: how that just changes the way you approach things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, <clears throat> we talk about it, a lot at Udemy. And, you know, one of the things that we're realizing that a lot of other companies are realizing is that we're not necessarily set up with an office that encourages brainstorming or collaboration, you know? So if you're just coming to the office to go sit down at a computer and do Zoom calls all day, you know, and not really interact with people, then what was the point? Versus you know, companies like Cloudflare, for instance, are you know, kind of rethinking what the office space is. They just redid their their space so that um I think, of course, the big ones did it too. Google did it. But like even um, uh, companies other than the ones we would typically think of, they created um, you know, beautiful sofas with, you know, big screens so that, you know, they could collaborate with whoever is there in person as well as, um, remotely they have, they broke down a lot of the individual desks and they created pods for, you know, people to work, um, asynchronously together, you know, so if they wanted to do kind of sprints or whatever, um, they could do that. And it'd be easier to kind of say, you know, Hey, you know, what, what are you working on? Or I have a question about this versus kind of getting on a zoom call. Um, they have, I think what they call zoom rooms. So like just one person, Zoom rooms or you tap one button and you know somebody pops on the call. So I, you know, we need to rethink, you know, how we're working. And again, how we can use the office as a tool that helps do some of the things that that you and I are are talking about here: the collaboration, the brainstorming, the decision making, reasons to come together. So, how do we create an environment where we can support that and people see why, uh, you know, I go to the office versus, you know, stay at home in my kitchen or living room or wherever. Yeah, Now I talk to
0: people that, you know, are starting to go more to the office and I always hear the stories like, oh, I saw this person that I haven't seen in so long and I catch up with that other person and I got this thing done and, and I'm thinking, you know, your day was completely different than it would have been if you were working from home. Mm-hmm. And you got ton of value on you being in the office. Let's let's capitalize on that, right? Versus where did the work happen, or whether today I'm home or today I'm in the office. Um, I don't know. I I work all the time from home, and I wish I had an office near me. I think there's so much value and to your point that physical connection, mm-hmm. that interaction, that collaboration. And I think the good thing is that we're kind of finding a a balance between all of those things Mm
1: -hmm. in a way
0: that we can maximize each of the spaces, each of the ways of collaboration versus just having one. Now we have diversity of ways that we can connect and diversity of ways that we can collaborate and um, innovate and all of those things. So, but at the same time, I think there's An added layer of complexity, right? When you have like hybrid teams or things like that. Like, how do you make sure? If, for example, we say we want a culture that is inclusive. And in your example, before before half of the team is in one room and half of the team is remote, how do you make sure that those that are remote are feeling included in the conversation? Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes is also challenging, right? Like if you're in the phone, you're trying to speak over everyone else that is speaking at the same time and Um, it's funny, like our challenges are so different than what they were before the pandemic Mm
1: -hmm. in a good way. I think it's challenging us in a good way. Yeah. And I think to your point, uh, these challenges were there before, right? Like we, we were looking at how to make sure we were including everybody in meetings anyway. I just think now we're much more aware of that with some people being remote or everybody being remote, um, I, you know, I, I think we, we have, you know, I'll give you an example. We have a a value of always learning, not a surprise. <clears throat> and we went through a recent reculturing exercise and one of the behaviors that we landed on and we realized with learning was um, con- constructively debating each other. And so we, we realized that part of learning was making sure we had diverse voices and that, we were able to um, feel safe in debating uh, a point of view. Um, so, one of the things that we've realized with that is we don't have the skills to constructively debate. So, we're actually building a whole kind of learning experience for how to help people across you to me to to feel more comfortable constructively debating. Um, but you know, we make sure in every meeting, there's at least one person who is mindful of that, like, and and is watching for people who might be hesitant or even those little micro actions, like, um, that I never was aware of before, like on zoom, when you're on mute, but then you see somebody go off mute, you know? And so you can say, Hey, I just saw that you went off mute. Did you want to say something or did you have a different perspective. And so there's just, there's so many different ways to teach each other, teach our managers, give people the tools to, um, you know, exemplify those values and behaviors and whatever, and whatever those are, um, even virtually. I think Adam Grant, one of his podcasts is even saying that his experience has been, you know, he almost feels like It's a more inclusive experience on Zoom than in the classroom because he is able to, you know, kind of see the chat going like people are chatting when maybe they wouldn't be able to kind of express themselves as Mm -hmm. much and be able to see when people are nodding or when people are not engaged as much. So I, I think if we. You know, approach these things with an open mind and 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 think differently and use. I love the you know use our values and behaviors to help us build our hybrid strategies. I think it's going to be a lot easier um, than just kind of thinking. Oh, you know, when are we going to go back to normal? Because we we're not going to go back. I don't. We don't want to go back. How many people complained about how it was before anyway? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And what a great opportunity we have to create
1: the new normal, right?
0: right. It, it's right. like
1: we will never have this opportunity again in our lifetime. Agree, it's like, yeah,
0: it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to disrupt and create something the way that we feel is the most valuable to us and connects most to who we are and our purpose. And again, what we're doing and what we want to do, um, Yeah. yes. So Melissa, I want to be respectful of time and I can be talking for you, with you for hours. I feel <laughs> like, you know, I, I love this. Um, before we wrap up, there's I have just two more questions. One is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you think can be valuable um, in terms of culture for people that are thinking about okay, how do I get started with this? Like, how do I know even if I need to make changes in my culture or like, how can people get started if they want to think about or be more intentional about reculturing, where, mm-hmm. where where, to start? Yeah, we'll buy the book. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, we will put the link to the book on the <laughs> show notes <laughs> of the podcast. You definitely should have no. a copy. I Thanks.
1: Um, it's totally worth reading. Thank you. Um, I do, you know, it's funny because when your publisher comes to you and says, Hey, who's your target audience? The, the, the no, no is to say I have multiple audiences. (laughs) Um, and I did say initially it is for leaders, of course, um, people, leaders, um, all leaders, frankly. And I do believe it's for all employees. I mean, part of why I wanted to write this is because I wanted to give agency to every employee to realize that you have the power more than you realize to shift culture and to continue to build and strengthen the culture. So I think first of all, if you're not clear on what your culture is and not clear about you know, what your values are, start there, ask questions. If you have a list of values, think about you know what behavior, how do you know? Like how, what behaviors would somebody be doing? Like when somebody thinks about uh, my performance, and you know, one of the the values is, is teamwork. What are you looking for in in my performance? You know, so I think starting with those questions matters. Um, so that's really important. I also believe that you know, having as few behaviors as possible is really important, you know, 10 or fewer, you know, we got to 15 at, at, you know, me, and I think we're going to narrow that a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, because it's not about memorizing. It's more about integrating it into processes and practices. Um, and then, you know, I would say we didn't get into this as much, but I I think having a consistent set of skills across an organization is really important and tied to your values and behaviors is nirvana and it, because i i think if you have things like constructive debate as one of your behaviors that you can then reinforce and teach people how to do again regardless of level tenure function geography it is such a much more motivating way to learn when I know my colleagues are learning similar skills. And I know if I'm learning that I'm helping to build the culture. And so I just think mapping your learning strategy, um, for, you know, the all employee learning strategy of skills to your culture, culture, your values and behaviors is such a, um, it's an important, um, part of, I think a healthy organization. Yeah.
0: I can't agree more. And I think, I mean, we didn't talk about skills at all, but we could do a whole podcast episode on skills because that is the direction we're all going to, right. We're, we're moving from jobs to skills from, you know, all these things. And then skills are becoming the paramount of everything that we do. Right. And, and, um, really the currency mm-hmm. on That's on human great. capital. It's feels yeah. skills mm-hmm. nowadays. And as companies are transforming and all companies are becoming more digital and they're trying to disrupt the market, like, I don't know anyone that I've talked to in any industry that their companies are not going through some sort of a transformation mm-hmm. in their products, in their strategies, in their services, in the go-to markets. Um, because they're being forced to do that. And with that comes, okay, how are we reskilling? How are we focusing on what are those skills that are going to help us make that transition? Right. Um, And then how that connects with culture. So I think I agree that is the Nirvana. I don't know who has cracked that code. I think we're all trying to crack that code. But I love what you said that, anyone in the organization impacts culture. This Mm -hmm. is not um, your head of HR. This is not the president of your company or the board is everyone. Mm -hmm. And if it, it requires everyone to create a culture, not one person can influence or create a culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So to close out, if people are like, I want more. I want to learn more about this topic. Um, Of course, grab the book. We're going to put the link on the show notes so you can easily find the book and grab a copy. Totally worth it. How can people can find you, connect with you? Um, What are some
1: ways that they can learn more about this topic? Sure. So I have a website, melissadaimler that you can go to, and I've now just started to get over my writer's block <laughs> from from writing a book last year, and I'm doing a monthly newsletter, so you can sign up for, to to you know hear from me on a, at least a, a, a monthly basis. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, um, so you can find me there, Melissa Daimler. I also dabble in Instagram, so M Daimler on there. So. Would love to hear how it's going for, for everybody and any questions you have. Um, in addition, I'd, I'd be happy to answer. Yeah, that's great.
0: And this is, I think, also a great book to do a book club mm. if you have even within your company, your department, your friends. Um, I, I you know, it's an easy read. It has lots of examples that I think everyone can relate with the concepts I like to say is written in plain English. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that even that person that doesn't have a master's degree in OD or, you know, or a PhD in psychology, like they can understand, like it's written for everyone. And that's one thing that I love about your book, like the examples you give, how simple it is. And it's, it's simple, but it's so impactful, right? You put, you tie concepts together that it just makes sense. And it's like, oh, I, you, you start to have a lot of aha moments as you're reading the book. So really recommend everyone to grab a
1: copy. Thank you. I mean, that, that again was one of the reasons I wrote it is because I just felt like so many research articles and books and papers out there were so theoretical and they weren't from the operator, you know, the, the person inside the company. So I really wanted it to be an easy read I you know I I was reminded as I was writing the book that hard writing makes for easy reading easy easy writing makes for hard writing because we've all had those books where it seemed really good the title was good and then you start reading it it's really you can't follow it so um it was very hard for me to to write um so I'm glad that it's an easy read <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure. As I said, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Uh, Such an honor to have you here today.
1: Thanks for chatting. I mean, that flew by. So I really appreciate the conversation. Yes.
0: Let me stop recording.